Hello and welcome aboard the Galant Says Podcast on this Friday. Friday, gotta get down on Friday, April 5th of 2022. I am Paul Galant and you can watch this bad boy live on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Galant Says. That is where you can ask me any question. I will work it into the show. You can also subscribe to this via podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher. And if you haven't already, please, 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 so I could feed my cat, like the podcast. I think that's how you do it on Spotify. Rate the podcast, Apple Podcast. You can do that. Leave a nice little review, maybe even a roast. And if you haven't already, please follow the show on Twitch or YouTube.com slash Paul Gallant. Okay, all the shameless self-promotion is done. Let's get lit. Let's play the song because you know what? The Houston Astros are going 162-0. Who says it's only a game? Astros. Astros. Jordan Alvarez didn't do a very good job diving, dying to dive on the grass last night. Whatever, we're not going to talk about that. Who says it's only a game? The world's not over till the final shot. War. Not talking about WAR couple more questions to always my significant other with I don't know who says it's only a game Astros baseball who says it's only a game what a song the Astros are 1-0, 3-1 victory over the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Last night, some real quick thoughts. I thought Alex Bregman played like an MVP candidate. Two great plays at third base. He lined in the only run off of Shohei Otani. He blasted a home run a little bit later. We'll get to that home run in the back-to-back jacks that were hit in that game. He's 100% healthy right now. Let's hope it stays that way. Also, Framber Valdez. Can we get that Framber Valdez like 80% of the time? Six and two-thirds innings pitched, two hits, one walk, six strikeouts, but at one point retired 15 straight batters. He really looked good. His location was fantastic. Obviously, that kind of varies from game to game, but I'm hoping that that's something that maybe over the summer that he has been able to reel in. There were a couple of moments where I was a little concerned. Jordan Alvarez, I mentioned a little bit before in the song, diving for a ball in left field his first time in the majors. I think playing left field, maybe he did a little bit last year, but whatever the case, he dove, he misplayed the ball, ends up getting the Angels a triple, and they had a chance of Shohei Otani at the plate with one runner on third base to potentially tie the game, and Otani fucking drilled a baseball to right field, but it ended up being caught. I thought it was gone just based off of the way it sounded. It died. There were a couple of balls that seemed to die at that field last night. I mean, the Astros were hitting some absolute banger doubles and they were going 400 feet and they still weren't getting out of the park. So I I don't know if there's something blowing things back in, but that Alvarez play, a little concerning. I think he can learn from it. More concerning, Jeremy Pena's arm at shortstop. I think the hitting side of things... You got to give it time. He's a young player. He's in the majors for the first time. We saw Alex Bregman struggle at first. We saw Jared Kelnick, if you're a Mariners fan like me, struggle at first. And we're hoping that changes this coming season. Kyle Tucker, same way. Sometimes it takes you a little bit of time to get adjusted to major league pitching. But you would think that a guy who's playing shortstop, you either have an arm or you don't. And there was a throwing error that Pena had. On top of that, he had a couple of throws where Gurriel needed to scoop it. Just saying right now, it's only been one game obviously, but it wasn't his best game as far as being a fielding shortstop, the thing that we were supposed to believe he was really, really good at. So, 
my one little reservation going forward. But I mean, there was a fantastic moment in last night's game. And let's give it a little bit of backstory. Ryan Tepera used to be a relief pitcher for the Chicago White Sox last year in the American League Divisional Series when the White Sox finally won their first game, which is wherever the White Sox play. I think U.S. Cellular Bank Field. I don't feel like looking that up. The post-game press conference, he was extra, extra cocky at it. Really, you got to, I guess, respect the cockiness that he showed being down 2-1, facing elimination, when he had this to say about the Astros' silent night at the plate in game number three. The stadium was rocking, you know, obviously it's a it's a different game here at our field, you know, you play at Minute Maid and... You know, they're, they're doing something over there that's a little different. You know, it shows you how many uh, swings and misses they had tonight compared to at Minute Maid. So, uh, you know, that's why you have home field advantage. And, you know, tomorrow, we look tomorrow, and, you know, we got another home field advantage. So we're ready to go. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is. Uh, they've obviously had a reputation of, you know, doing some sketchy stuff over there. And, you know, it's just uh, we can say that it's uh, – a little bit of a difference, you know. I think you saw the swings and misses tonight compared to, uh, you know, the first two games of Minimate. But that's not really the story, you know. Um, we come here to play. You know, we're going to compete. We're not even going to worry about what they're going to do. Um, all we have to do is execute pitches, and they can't hit them anyways. Okay. So let's do a little fact-checking here. They can't hit them anyways. They scored six fucking runs in that game. Six. And the game before, they scored nine. And the game before that, they scored six. And then the next game, they scored ten. So, in this series, the Astros scored 31 runs in four games. And Ryan Tapera, after game three, is like, well, <laughs> they can't score. They can't hit. So, he's full of shit. But whatever. If you take a look at his numbers during that series against the Astros back uh, last year, he did pitch well. I mean... The overall numbers for him in that uh, series against the Astros. And hang on, I'm trying to pull it up. There's this weird pop-up that always pops up. If you go to Pro Baseball Reference, and it's always in the most inconvenient spot and gets in the way. But in the ALDS, he had an ERA of 1.93 in three games pitched. He threw four and two-thirds innings. Only three strikeouts allowed two hits, one earned run. Not bad, right? I mean, it's 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 pretty good numbers as far as going up against that Astros lineup. But, I mean, watch yourself when you talk that much shit because what's going to happen the next time around? How are you going to do when, with maybe another team, you go up against them? Do you think that they're going to perhaps, I don't know, remember what you said? They sure as fuck did last night. Saying they're still doing some sketchy things. Ooh, Jordan man. drives one deep to center field. Trout will watch this one. That's into the bushes and straight away center field. The big man clears the center field wall. Back-to-back jacks, and the Astros lead 3 to nothing. Oh, just crushing egos out there. I got to give a shout-out to both Todd Callis and Jeff Blum on that call because this was right after Alex Bregman had gone yard off of uh, Ryan Tilapia. Tapera, Tilapia. Para. Tilapia sounds better. Whatever. Right before that, Bregman had gone yard. This time down the left field line. And, of course, Todd Callis and Jeff Blum are going to bring up. 
uh, all right, you were so cocky after this game. Well, what about now? The Astros Twitter even put out a tweet, which was hilarious. And the tweet essentially read, hey, was this sketchy enough for you? Let me actually find that tweet. I'll put it up on the TV. Because look, when a, when a team Twitter account puts up a good one, you got to you gotta shout them out, right? Those guys aren't getting paid a lot. They aren't getting paid a ton of money. They don't get to sign their name on those tweets. So let's let's see it right here. There we go. We keep receipts. Hopefully that's not sketch. I like it. Good job. So you wonder with Ryan Tapera, what was the end game here? When you made those comments, did you think it was going to help you out? This is what I always wonder about with someone who talks shit. It's one thing to talk shit in the midst of a game. Maybe it keeps you uh, level-headed. Maybe it gives you energy. It makes you feel in control of your situation. I know that when I play flag football, I talk a lot of shit. It's fun to me, but it's also one of the few things in the world that I feel extremely confident at, which is funny because you would think I would be confident at radio. No, not really. But in this situation, I feel great about it. So I talk shit. But after a game or before a game, I never am going to say anything that could potentially get someone to focus on me a little bit more. I'm not going to do it. No, never would ever do that. And I just learned this lesson by watching the New England Patriots dissect and dismember seemingly every single team that they would go up against who talked shit about them. And there's a long list. And I want to see what the Astros list is. And maybe over the course of next week, we can put together a list of the people that the Astros are probably looking at the most and thinking to themselves, fuck this guy. One of those guys might be Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees. I think their opening day is taking place right now. And we got some big news coming out of New York. So remember a couple of weeks ago, Brian Cashman was whining about the 2017 World Series and how the Yankees probably would have won it if not for those damn cheating, horrific Astros. Horrific was a term that he used. He said, you know, you can't say that there's been a World Series drought for us because that team was almost there. Well, that was five fucking years ago and you're the New York Yankees, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. But Brian Cashman took a big L today. He said at a press conference, that Aaron Judge rejected a seven-year extension valued at $30.5 million a year, plus at least a $17 million salary for this season. An eight-year deal for $230.5 million. I can understand maybe why the Yankees don't go all in given some of Judge's struggles in the postseason that we have all witnessed ourselves right here in Houston. But... This opens a door that I never even thought was possible. Have you ever thought to yourself that a New York Yankee could potentially leave the Yankees during the offseason? A guy who's in his prime? A guy who we think is one of the game's best players? I'm going to read this from the Barstool Sports Yankee writer, Hubs, his write-up about an inability to give Aaron Judge... An extension. I'm gonna let's adjust the camera a little bit. I'm gonna rub my nipples while I do this. Oh yeah. Aaron Judge set the first pitch of opening day as his deadline for signing a contract extension with the Yankees. Oh yeah. But Brian Cashman announced today that there is no agreement made as the two sides are still far enough apart. Oh boy, and here's the best part. Here is the observation from the Yankee fan. This means this very well could be Judge's final year in pinstripes, which is 
stunning to say, oh yeah, give it to me. That is fantastic to read, to think. Imagine the New York Yankees not being able to bring back their star player. And look, I mean, the Astros dealt with a little bit of that themselves this offseason. Carlos Correa is now with the Minnesota Twins. But where is Judge going to end up? And what team isn't going to pay $350 million to get him on their team? He's going to say no to that? Uh, Jason83, New England didn't teach you to rub your nipples in excitement like that. That is true. In fact, they would probably consider that to be showboating. But damn it, whenever anything happens to the Yankees, even though I'm not a Red Sox fan anymore, whenever anything bad happens to the Yankees, I love it. And really, this is a new world that we might be entering. Could it be that the New York Yankees are no longer able to keep their best players? I hope this is the world that we live in now. I hope that the Yankees are not just a bunch of whining babies who constantly make excuses for themselves. I hope that we're also talking about the New York Yankees as a team that all of a sudden is on the same level as everybody else when it comes to keeping a guy like Aaron Judge and who knows who else. By the way, <laughs> Jason83 says, wait, not a Red Sox fan anymore? Unfollows you here and on Instagram. No, I'm not. Should I be? Probably. But here's my explanation for moving away from the Boston Red Sox. So I don't know how many people remembered what took place at the end of the 2011 season where the Red Sox collapsed down the stretch. And there was this stories that were coming out about how they were drinking beer and eating chicken in the clubhouse. And I remembered seeing that and there was a lot of seemingly smearing going on for one Terry Francona, who was, I guess, also going through a divorce. And I think that there were allegations like, oh, he's taking pills and stuff. And like, it was Terry Francona's fault that this team fell apart. To an extent, you could make that argument, but he won two World Series for the team as a manager and did a really good job keeping together a group of legitimately crazy people at times. At a certain point, that message is going to be lost when you have as many ridiculous personalities as those Boston Red Sox teams had. I hated the way that the Red Sox painted Terry Francona after the fact, especially considering that they hired Bobby Valentine afterwards. Bobby Valentine's a noted, obnoxious person who seems to rub a lot of people in clubhouses the wrong way. Good as a baseball analyst on TV, I guess, but as far as an actual coach, no. So they replace him, Terry Francona, with Bobby Valentine, and they sucked in 2012. And I remember that 2011 to 2012 stuff where they're pointing at everybody, and then I just started thinking about all the times that they smeared people like Pedro Martinez on his way out or Nomar Garcia-Parra on his way out, guys that I grew up rooting for, grew up loving. I just felt like it was unnecessary, just the way that they've always been. Then fast forward a little bit to the future. The Boston Marathon bombings happened, and in 2013, I got back on the bandwagon for a little bit of time. But then it just wasn't the same. I'm not going to lie, the Astros got better. I definitely enjoyed watching them, seeing as I've been living here for the last decade. But going forward, I actually was back at WEEI doing sports radio on the weekends on Saturday. And every now and then I would get to do a radio show, but sometimes I'd have to do Red Sox postgame. And the Red Sox postgame shows were frustrating because I would be sitting watching the games. It'd all take four hours. It would basically cut like an hour and a half out of the time that I was supposed to have on the air. And I wanted to talk about the Patriots. I wanted to talk about other Boston sports teams. But instead, I had to talk about the Red Sox on a postgame show. And I remember one day, I just went on this little tirade. 
because I was like, okay, congratulations. The Red Sox won this game, but there's not a lot to take away from it. They're not playing a real team here. What do you want me to say? I don't really care. This game doesn't matter to me. And I think I said something along the lines of, I would rather be day drinking with my friends. So Tom Karen, who's like the analyst for Nesson, he basically said, who the fuck is this Paul guy? Uh, who is this guy I've never heard of doing the Red Sox postgame show? Um, and this is a Jason 83. I remember you on WEI on weekends, hence why I tried to keep you get back up here, but you don't listen to me. Well, listen, they got to offer me a job. They got to offer me a job back up there if they wanted me back up there. That's why I came back. I love it in Houston. It's been such a long time since I lived in Boston. Grew up in Hanover, South Shore. Anyway, that whole thing turned me off, and I felt like the Red Sox didn't like me on top of all of that. So, I don't know. Radio's weird, man. You know, if I... I, I feel like things might be different as far as my actual sports allegiances had I stayed in Boston for my whole life. But my parents divorced. I moved with my mom to Florida. And while I still definitely stayed on the Patriots as much as I could, and what a time it was to be a Patriots fan there. And the Celtics too. Even though the Celtics, you know, it took them until 2008 to really get things going with the Ubuntu teams. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it changed a little bit. 2004 also changed it too. Like I, I was so diehard Red Sox before that. Then they won it and it was like, oh, well, I have what I've always wanted. Now I don't want it anymore. It's weird, right? Sometimes you want something so badly, then you get it. I know that I am like this. I am someone who wants what he can't have. I want to dive into something else because this also has to do with the Yankees who have been taking, I think, huge L's over the course of the past week, whether it's Brian Cashman whining about his job security. Oh, he made it to the World Series. You got to watch this. Without any sense of irony, the New York Yankees put this video up today and it's essentially a hype montage for this coming season. It's narrated by ESPN's Ryan Rocco. In 2022, we're not here to talk about last year. Pause. We're not here to talk about last year. Then why are you still talking about 20-fucking-17? Jesus. We're not here to talk about last year. I think you're going to need an asterisk in the subtitles in the closed captions of this video because you've been talking about 2017 to whoever will listen to you. The video continues. We're not here to talk about history. In fact, we're not here to talk at all. Okay, two things here. You're not here to talk about history. Again, the 2017 stuff literally this week and then we're not here to talk at all then why are you talking right now what are you doing stone jam 206 says judge turned down the deal yeah we talked about that a little bit earlier we started the show early today so i apologize for that anyway let's continue the video this year you could take all of the storylines about being ready to go the same old scripts about the commitment to excellence the rah-rah, this year's different mantra that is so prevalent this time of year, and throw them away, because we are not here to talk. Okay, what? This doesn't make any sense. So they just said, all the narratives, all of those things, we're not here to talk. Well, the narrative is that the Yankees have been one of the most underachieving teams in baseball since that 2017 team, which was ahead of schedule, right? Come on. What are you talking about? Oh, wait, my bad. You're not talking. Goes the Let's pause for a second on that highlight. Is this, is this before the sticky stuff? It's early in the year. 
Anyway. We're here for one thing. And that one thing ends with a parade down Broadway. So we could sit here and wrap that up with a bow on it as much as you'd like. But this That's weird writing. We could sit here and wrap that up with a bow on it as much as you like. What? What are you talking about? How about... Well, get to October, then then we'll, you know, open this box. This is the reality. There are no more moral victories to be had. Pause for a second. No more moral victories to be had. We're talking about the Yankees. Have they ever accepted moral victories? Clearly, over the last couple of years, they have. Right? Moral victory. We made it to the ALCS and were cheated in 2017. I can't believe the idea of no. I, I, I seriously can't believe it. I, I have to play it again, in fact. There are no more moral victories to be had. This is the Yankees. Moral victories. I've never, ever, ever heard of this team, of all teams in sports, Entertaining the idea. They have the most titles in American sports. 27. And they love to tell you about those 27 fucking rings. Moral victories have even entered their conversation, their lexicon. Jesus. Emily says there's way too much talking for a hype video. I agree. So true, says Jason83. Not feeling much hype so far. And Fuentes Respector. Yankees are just so cringe. Let's keep it going. No excuses. No no excuses. Oh, sure. Storylines. No, no storylines? What? Just one team in one city with one goal. Win. All right. They just said earlier in the video, like, we're not here for narratives. Just one team, one city, one storyline win. Well, technically, that's a narrative. Like, we are here to win. The, the, the talking, the scripted this, this is like some random person from overseas had put together some idea of how he thought Americans talked. And this was like, okay, if we put some dramatic music and highlights over it, no one's going to fucking notice that this makes no fucking sense. Not in the playoffs, clearly, that Aaron Judge highlight. And no matter what team pulls up to the stadium this year, they'll know we're rolling 50,000 oh, feet. Look at those. Look at these creatures. Hang on. Let's let's dissect. All right. Uh, you can't really see anyone here. A little further ahead. You got to watch this. Twitch.tv slash Galan says because there's video that comes with it. Oh, my God. Just look at these animals. Let's see. How many of them look drunk? God, uh, I'd say about 40 people here. Um, drunk, definitely. Drunk, 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 drunk. I think that guy might be sober. Drunk, drunk, drunk. Nothing wrong with being drunk, by the way. Drunk, sneezing, so he has COVID. No mask. What's up with that? Just kidding. Drunk. They're just animals. Yankees fans. Just just dirty, dirty people. 50,000 deep. And we will be ready. Okay. A lot of talk again. No more, no more talking from the New York Yankees except for this two-minute video that we did where we talk a lot and we read off of a script that was prepared by someone who's not American or English speaking. A bunch of big words. Jason eighty-three says, "There's the Red Sox fan in you coming out." It's weird because it's 
definitely partly that. But it's also, I, I mean, I feel like if you're an Astros fan, you hate the Yankees more than anybody, right? Shit, if you're a Mariners fan watching, you hate the Yankees more than anybody. Because of back in the 90s. Yankee fans, especially, are at the top of everyone's hit list as far as people that you would love to get in the face of and say, you guys fucking suck now. And this video is just more ammunition on the same day where Aaron Judge rejected a seven-year extension. Oh, my God. It's just so delicious. So delicious. I do have a really quick Russell Wilson story. And I'm sure that just like the Yankees right now that Russ is probably feeling perhaps slightly in his feelings today. And it's not because of this video, but he met Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets. There's CR in the background in their locker room. So, again, not, not a lot going on in that little exchange, right? Well, here's what's funny. So this is from a, I believe, Nuggets beat reporter. Asked if he's a fan of Ciara, Nikola Jokic said, I feel bad. I don't follow her. I don't know. I mean, I met them in the hallway, so I feel bad because it's not my music. I don't even listen to American music. I'm going to listen, and I'm going to let you guys know. She had, he had no idea who she was, and I love it. I love every second of it because here's why. Russell Wilson and Ciara are so fame-starved. It's very clear just watching the way that they operate, especially when they go off on a vacation. They have all these cameras following them around, like hired paparazzi. Because how many people are going to see them and 100% know off the top of their head, oh, yeah, that's Ciara. She was famous like 15 years ago, I think. I don't know anything about Ciara's music. Oh, there's Russell Wilson. He's like the 10th to 5th best quarterback in the NFL, assuming he's healthy this year. <laughs> Jason 83. I wasn't even aware she was still a thing. I know. It's a great point. Like, what? who are you? I don't know. Oh, man. I, I want to know what's going on in his head because I bet inwardly he's stewing over the fact that his wife was not recognized. And I know she's definitely stewing. Like, I think that's one of the reasons they wanted to get out of Seattle. I think they wanted to revitalize her career. That's why the Vegas of all the teams that were on the list of the teams that didn't actually want to trade for Russell Wilson, but Russell Wilson would be okay, okaying a trade to. I don't know. I feel like that's why Vegas was on it entirely to resurrect her career. Uh, what else do we have before we hit the road? Oh, yeah. This is just a bad take from the Northeast. It seems like we get one awful column about what you should do with your air conditioning every single year from people up north. This comes from Consumer Reports and Energy Star. In the middle of a sweltering summer, you can bet that pretty much everyone has their air conditioners running as cold as possible. However, according to Consumer Reports, most of us are probably running our air conditioners at the wrong temperature, which wastes energy and causes our utility bills to soar. Energy Star came out with recommendations for setting your air conditioner so you can save money and use energy efficiently, according to Consumer Reports. This is where it gets good. It is recommended to set your air conditioner at 78 degrees when you're home and awake. 78 degrees? What are you fucking talking about? That's hot. Even when I lived in Florida and my mom likes to run things a little bit warm in her house, we never went above 75. You can't do that. You got to go low. You got to go big or just not even bother putting the thing on. 78 degrees? Jason 83 says, I melt at 70. Right now in my crappy apartment complex, I'm glad that the air conditioning is good. 
because I have it set at 70 right now myself. It's hot in the summer here. It just beats down on your home. Set it at 78. It won't feel like 78. That's not how it works here. Like it, it, it cooks a little bit more in Houston. The report continues. If you leave your home, Energy Star also recommends setting your unit to 85 degrees. When you're asleep, set it to 82 degrees. 85. Oh, boy. Emily says, I grew up here with my parents' house set at 78. In Houston? Whoa. You're... I respect the commitment. Uh, And Fuentes Respector says, anything above 70 is disgusting. Mine is set at 68, continues Jason. 83, and I set my work one at 68, too. Anything over 70 should be illegal. (laughs) That's pretty funny. I remember seeing a column once. I think it was written by a, a lady about how her office was a little bit cold. And I actually can't understand the idea of being cold at the office from time to time. But I would much rather be cold at the office than sweaty and hot. Especially as someone who, a couple of weeks ago, we, we didn't have air conditioning in our building for like three days. It was brutal. And I was wearing like the lightest shirts I possibly could when I was in studio. And I was just sweating up a storm because we got these big lights that are on us in those studios. Anyway, this continues, this article. 85 degrees when you leave the home. I, that's pretty brutal to come back to. And aren't you going to run up a ton of energy in the short amount of time that you're trying to cool things down? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't know how this works. When you're asleep, 82. I mean, you, you better sleep with no sheets in the nude. And I sleep in the nude. You know, nothing wrong with sleeping in the nude, but I'm sleeping with no sheets if you're telling me to set it at 82 degrees. And then they say, while this may seem a bit higher than many people are used to, the report says that consumers can save an extra 3% on their energy bill for every degree they raise on their unit. Okay, I guess that adds up, but come on. Comfort. Comfort is something that if you can pay for it, you pay for it. But comfort is something that is absolutely necessary. You don't want to be stuck sweating in a hot place. Think about all the laundry you'll have to do. And all the energy you'll waste doing that if you're just sweating nonstop. Unless you just walk around your apartment naked. One last story before we hit the road. This one comes from a case that I would think a lot of people would want to be a part of. The jury selection for the Parkland, Florida school shooter trial. This prospective juror had quite the reasoning as to why she should not have to do service. Hang on a second. I read that a little too early. Switch it over. And three, two, and at what? There's dates in in, in July that you're not available. What are those dates? July 7th, July 4th, which is closed, and July 18th. But then again, I need to figure out something. I have my sugar daddy that I see every day. I'm sorry? My sugar daddy. (laughs) Okay, I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about. But well, we'll- I'm married and I have my, my, my sugar daddy. Okay. And I see him every day. All right, ma'am, we'll come back. Ma'am, we'll come back to you. She's like, what the fuck? Also, sup to that judge. That's an attractive judge. And I will move on from that. Um, She said that she has a sugar daddy. She needs to see the sugar daddy, I guess, every single day. I mean, it's it's honest. I guess it maybe makes the judge think that you're morally of low character if you're married, but you also have a sugar daddy or something like that. But it almost sounds fake. Like if you're going to, I don't know, if you're going to try and get out, you got to have like an actually believable excuse, don't you? The sugar daddy thing just seems so fake, like something out of a sitcom. 
<laughs> Jason83 says, a girl needs money, Paul. Don't judge her. Oh, that's right. Someone told me I can't assume people's stories. When I actually saw Ladies of the Night outside of a Chick-fil-A in Seattle, I was told, you can't assume their stories. I did, And I didn't. I, I just said, like, well, they're not wearing any clothes and it's 40 degrees out. I don't think that they're out here waiting for, like, free chicken biscuits or something like that. But, um, yeah, fair enough. I got to say, though, it's hard to believe this story. I also love how she's like, I need July 4th off. No one goes to court on the 4th of July. No one. No one does that. Everyone gets that day off. They're not going to call in like a random like day. Well, we're going to meet Doug about the trial today. That's not happening. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for a fun week right here on the Galant Says Podcast. We try to do it every single day, weekdays at around 3 Central. We're doing it early today because I got some busy stuff that I got to do later this afternoon. Next week, we'll be on Monday through Thursday. No Friday show because I have, um, I'm going to be looking at houses. Very excited to actually potentially move into like a condo or something like that. That'll be fun because this place sucks. Anyway, if you haven't already, Please follow, like the Galan Says Podcast on Twitch. You can watch it live. I hope that you had fun. Uh, good job by everybody below Black Star saying the Aurora Street hookers. You're right. Uh, Emily, thank you very much. You have a great weekend too. Jason83 and Fuentes Respector. It was a fun chat today. You guys were fun today. So hopefully y'all come back again. Appreciate whenever you do. If you are not a Twitch person, this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, etc. If you haven't already... Leave a rating, a review, like it. I don't even know how any of those things work, but I appreciate all the support that you guys give me. Until Monday, around 3 o'clock or so, so long, farewell, and have yourselves a wonderful weekend.